All right, let's get started. Um, we're looking at session seven, compassionate. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we're looking at today. Jesus expects his followers to show compassion and mercy to others. We're going to jump all the way to Luke chapter six um, from where we've been. We'll be looking at verses 27 through 38. But before we do that, I want to I remind us what the context of the book of Luke is. We're six uh, sessions in. We've had a lot of snow and COVID and, and stuff. And so I want to remind us where, we, where we've come from and where our context is uh, as we look at Luke and just quickly sum up the parts we're skipping over because we are going to skip over um, several chapters to get to chapter six today. Not that they're not important, there's just not a lot in them, so we'll look at that. So let's start there. All right, so we have our first point in our outline, which is preparation for the ministry of Jesus. The book opens in chapter one, verses one to four, with a formal prologue. Luke writes a very formal, he's writing the Theophilus, he tells us why he's writing the book, that Theophilus would know the, the truth of Jesus. So Luke is a researcher. This is a research paper. And he is offering the evidence of who Jesus is in this book. So that's our context. We got to remember that as we go through this book. Otherwise, you can get some really weird and strange ideas, um, which a lot of people have done over the years and created whole cults off of it. He's proving who Jesus is. Okay, then we go on and we get the birth of both John the Baptist and Jesus are covered in chapters 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 20. And we've studied those. We looked at the childhood and early adulthood of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 21 to verse 52. And we saw how that played out. Then we go, and remember, this is the preparation for Jesus' ministry. So then we get the ministry of John the Baptist. He came first. He was the forerunner. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. That's kind of where we left off last week. We were looking at the ministry of John the Baptist and all that. So then we come to the latter part of chapter 3, uh, verses 23 to 38. It's the genealogy of Jesus. Now, me, I like genealogies. I find that they, they tell us a lot if you know the people that are involved. Now, we only know the names, so we don't know a whole heck of a lot about these people until we get far enough back that we start seeing David and, and guys like that. But there's a whole genealogy there. Remember, this is proof of who Jesus was. That's why it's here. People are like, why did they put genealogies in the Bible? Because it is, in, especially in the Middle Eastern cultures, knowing where you came from, who your fathers were, and forefathers was important. It established social hierarchy um, and that sort of thing. And so it was important to them. Us in our American Western culture, genealogy is a passing fancy for most people. Yeah, they want to know who their grandparents are, who their great-grandparents are, where they came from. If we were in, you know, even modern-day Europe, if you had any nobility or aristocrat, uh, you would know who the family was. You would know the lineage. You'd probably be hanging on a wall somewhere in the house um, and stuff. It's important to those kinds of people, but we, as, especially as Americans, uh, we're like, ah, we're American. I, you know, I don't even know who my parents were. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, yeah, it's a lot of people. They don't. But it is important. And in, in other places in the world, it's important. So we kind of just skip over the genealogy and move on. We don't need it to prove who Jesus is. We get it. We believe it. Then there's the testing of Jesus by the devil. Now, I considered stopping here and looking at it, but Luke doesn't cover it very much. Um, it's just chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And, uh, yeah, Luke doesn't give us a lot of information. He does give us information that we don't get anywhere else. We don't know what happened. Um, and, and that's a long... There, there are a lot of groups out there that make all sorts of, all sorts of uh, claims you know, that this is the way we're supposed to deal with the devil and all that. It was an issue between him and Satan, and we know it happened. We, we know that Jesus prevailed over him. It wasn't a struggle as in that they were fighting or anything. Uh, so we're just going gonna to leave it and we're going to move on to some others. So now we move into point two of the outline of Luke, Jesus' ministry in Galilee. That's where we're going to be at today. Um, chapter 4, verses 14 through 44, was the early preaching. So he comes back. John baptizes him. He goes into the wilderness. He has his confrontation with Satan. He comes back and he goes to, the, to Galilee and he starts his ministry. And he starts preaching. Um, his early preaching. He taught in the synagogues all through Galilee. We, saw, we, we see that he was rejected in Nazareth. Um, he also confronted a demon in Capernaum in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he cast it out. He got himself in trouble for that because it was the Sabbath. And then we see that it ends with him healing Peter's mother-in-law. He shows up at Peter's house. She's sick. He heals her. She gets up and makes dinner. I guess Jesus was hungry. It was easier than cooking for himself. I don't know. But that, so that's what goes on, his early preaching. We don't know what the preaching was. We just know what happened. Then he calls, there's the calling of the disciples and then the apostles. And yes, they are two separate things. Chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 16. Disciples were people who were following him from town to town. They were huge crowds of them. And out of those disciples... He chooses the 12, which become the apostles. Um, he still had a lot of disciples that followed him. But disciples were not the people that were, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't make it a full-time gig, if you will. Uh, just as pastors. I mean, we're all Christians in here. You're here teaching. But not all of you can be full-time in ministry. And that's the difference. These guys... Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and all, all the rest of the guys, they gave up everything to go into full-time ministry in order to do what Jesus needed to be done. But there were lots and lots of disciples. We see that even in Acts as there's 120 gathered together. They're all disciples. They're all followers. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that some had family relationships that they had to, deal, they had to provide. They had to do things. Um, and we'll talk about some of that later on, but there's this whole calling, um, of the apostles and it, it, it's a whole chapter, uh, with it. We see that he first calls Peter, James, and John, then he cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic that's lowered through the roof that happens while he's in the middle of choosing the 12. 
then he, we see the calling of Levi. So Matthew wasn't even there when that, when that event happened. Um, we see that Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath because they're walking along and the disciples are picking heads of grain on a Sunday and the Pharisees are having a cow. You know, they're working and all that. It's like you picked a head of grain and you're eating the grain kernels. How's that work? But they claimed it was, and Jesus had this whole argument with them. We see that he heals a man with a withered hand on a Sabbath and gets there. And then finally, he's got the 12. And once he's got the 12, ministry kicks into high gear, and that's where we're starting. So now we're in chapter 6. And the 12 have been chosen. These are the guys who have left their professions to take up a new profession to become full-time ministry workers learning and, and doing for Jesus, because Jesus is going to start sending them out. Um, we often forget that, that Jesus sends the, the apostles out with some of the disciples. They, they each like take somebody and they go and they start doing ministry in other villages and, and stuff. That's all going to come. But right now we're going to move into the training of them. And the training for the apostles starts with the Sermon on the Plain. Okay, who knows what the Sermon on the Plain is? You're all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Beatitudes. Well, Luke includes this, uh, I hate to say story. I don't, I, I've never found a better word, though. He, account, thank you. He has this account of the Sermon on the Plain, which is, I thought I saw snowflakes. Denial. Being ostrich. The uh, the Sermon on the Plain comes before the the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount happens in Jerusalem. This happens in Galilee, and the the sermons are very similar. And a lot of people dismiss Luke's account of it as just not being as good as Matthew's account in chapter five. Um, where the Beatitudes, it seems like Matthew's got a very long, long account of the Sermon on the Mount with all, all the teaching and everything. And Matthew really covers it because it's, it's not just the Beatitudes. It's the, who he is, the kingdom, and that he was going to be the king. And it's all those, all that's in there. And so Matthew covers it very heavily, whereas everybody thought that Luke just brushes over it. And the reality is, is that this is actually a different sermon. This is a different place, a different time, a different crowd. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. All of that to get us to this point, because this is where the real meat of the teaching comes uh, for the apostles that are now chosen uh, to be there. So any comments or questions before we jump into the actual lesson here? Okay, everybody's caught up. We all know where we're at. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 31. Somebody go ahead and... Read this uh, passage for us. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes and his, on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Okay, what do we call this? Oh, come on, you're all old people in here. You all know what this is called. Well, no, in Matthew they're called the Beatitudes. Do to others as you want done to you. The golden rule. There you go. It's, this is the golden rule. Here it is. Luke is covering it. This is the first teaching of it. It's in Galilee on a flat place, somewhere probably outside Capernaum or Beth... Um, uh, no, I can't think. Yeah, Capernaum. Um, somewhere along the coast up there. He's got all sorts of things just packed in here. I could spend weeks going through this, but we don't. We've only got a few minutes. Yeah, a few minutes. So Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Um, he says to love all. Okay. Love all. How do we love everyone? I mean, he's very specific here. Treat them how we want to be treated. We're, yeah, treating them how we... But, I mean, how do we do that? I mean, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Wow. I mean, that, that, that t- that's a lifetime study in all of itself. Mm-hmm. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. So what, are we supposed to be somebody's punching bag? Are we on just... On the surface, that's what it looks like. On the surface. Christianity does not, and, and especially in the 1800s, it was looked at particularly by men uh, as uh, very wimpy. That if you're a Christian, then you're just a wimp. And remember, this is right before Prohibition... And all that, it was mostly, Christianity was mostly dominated by Victorian mentality women. It's where we get the whole thing of, you know, bow your head, fold your arms to pray and all that, which we see nowhere in Scripture. Um, that, that, that attitude isn't anywhere in Scripture. The whole meek, mild, oh, I'm, you know, and all that. It was, people just thought, that comes from Victorian English uh, Christianity, and that was not what Jesus was talking about. If we look at any of the characters in Scripture, they, they, even if they're most distressed, it was, they were much more demonstrative. And so the, the idea that we were to, well, you're suppo- this is where we get the whole idea that we're supposed to be pacifists. 
Nowhere does, it does not call us to be pacifist. The enemies, who are the enemies Jesus is referring to? Nope. Well, yes, but not that they, they were definitely enemies, but not we're talking the, the general rule here. Who are the enemies? Yeah, the people you're witnessing to. The unbelievers. They were the enemies. And they were enemies because they were unbelievers. They're supposed to just lay down because of, so that doesn't mean that you just let the Germans roll in and Bowl over your whole nation because, well, we, we, we just can't do that. We have to love our enemies. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. We're loving our enemies for the sake of Christ. Is that where the Quakers? Yes, it is. The, the pastor, you know, yes. The Quakers, the Amish, um, most of the Mennonite groups, yes. They, they, they believe that because we're supposed to love all, and that we're supposed to love our enemies. Our enemies are defined not as people trying to hurt us, but they're people who are against God. They're the unsaved, the unbelievers. Jesus is not calling us to be a doormat. Now, I know that there are a lot of groups out there that call for that, and certainly in the early part of last century in the Victorian era, you know, the, the whole nonviolence and all that. And they, they really twisted it. Just as, just as this day and age, we are twisting all the sexual stuff uh, in churches and whatnot. Back then, they were twisting it because men were lording over their women. I mean, that's just the way the, that age was. Uh, the man was the man of the house. And he was in charge. And they were dominating. And, and women were tired of it. They were abused. Um, alcohol was a very large part of it. The guys would go down to the pub, they'd come home drunk, beat their wives, and it was considered domestic, and so nobody did anything about it. What happened in the home was in the home. The cops wouldn't do anything about it. There was no courts. And so this, there was this whole movement against that. But the idea was is that, well, you're just supposed to love your enemies, and that, that's not what we're talking about. You're not supposed to be a doormat. Um, it's not a call not to do evil, not to stop evil, not to confront evil. Evil is evil and needs to be dealt with. The law, God hasn't set aside the law. See, and that's where we, we, we get this, a lot of this confused. Jesus isn't saying, well, forget what's in the law and just love your enemies. Um, that, that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to us not being evil. He's going to become very specific. I mean, he says, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Because you're different. Because you believe people are going to hate you. You're not supposed to return hate for hate. See, that's the essence of the golden rule. You go out of your way to be kind, merciful, compassionate towards the people who are not towards you. Because you can. If, yeah, even if you don't feel like it, because it's the right thing to do. That's what I was... This is, this is the crux right here. It's not about them. It's about you. We are called to do it, not for their sake. 
but for our sakes. That is the hardest thing to learn as a Christian. We don't do what's right for the sake of those people. And that's where people are like, well, but he's so wrong. He's, he robbed me. He ripped me off. Why would I forgive him? For your sake, you forgive him. That's, that's the hard. I mean, you think about it. Rape cases. Oh, wow. Forgive your rapist or somebody who took your children or something. That's what he's calling for is you forgive them because you've been, you've been forgiven. That's what he's talking about. And it's not for their sake because judgment is going to come in the end. Remember, God says that he will judge his vindication and it will be permanent. It will be forever. You will be vindicated. It's not our place to judge them on that. God will judge them. We forgive them. We're called to forgive that. That doesn't mean that it's okay that they did it. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean that you're saying that what they did was okay. Mm-hmm. It means that you're not going to hold them for it. You're, you're not going to hold it against them. Um, the whole point is to break the cycle. You did something to me, so I'm going to do something to you, and then you're going to do something. And we get these generational, I'm going to get even. I mean, we're seeing that right now in the United States. We treated the white people treated slaves bad back in the 1800s, and they didn't treat them, you know, didn't treat black people well. So now we're getting even. We're getting ours. And so we're going to treat white people bad. So what's going to happen? How many years is this going to go on that they burn down businesses that companies are going to be telling us to be less white uh, and, and all that nonsense. How long do you think people are going to put up with that? White people are going to put up with that before they retaliate. And this goes the other way. And, you know, maybe, maybe they're not beating them up. Maybe they're not lynching them and all that like they did back in the day. But they just stop hiring them. They just start not paying the money that, needs to be, that they're getting in welfare and all. I mean, how long before they start changing the social structure to get even, to get back at them. Because it's a cycle. And it comes around and it goes around. That's why every country in the ancient world, you would come in, you'd attack, you'd conquer, you take them all as slaves. They uprise, they attack, they take you as slaves because you did it to them. Not that there's anything wrong with the, 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 whole, the whole, you know, attacking and conquering. I mean, that's what countries do, right? Nation on nation? Do you remember the, the movie The Point of the Spear? The Point of the Spear, no. End of the Spear. End of the Spear. End of the Spear. End of the spear. All right. Well, it's about the Orca Indians, um, Jim, Jim Elliott. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And they said, the, the women said, even though you spear us, we won't spear you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they finally broke that cycle. Yes. It, the, the constant either one-upping or getting even or... Well, just keeping up with the Joneses. Okay, so your neighbor gets a new car. You go buy a new car. They get a swimming pool. You buy a swimming pool. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole economy of the United States is built on one-upmanship, constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses down the street. It's the same thing. It's the cycle. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. Break the cycle. In the ancient world, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was the, that was the rule. He's saying, don't do it. Forgive them. Love your enemies. Do good 
to those who do evil and all that. This is hard. This is really hard. Let's, let's move on with that. Keep that, in the, keep that percolating in the back of your mind. Uh, chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, ex- and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. He is he's kind of ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Okay, this is the ancient world. Might made right. Whoever was wealthy was blessed by God. Whoever was powerful was blessed by God. Whoever had the strongest arm was the king. And he would get even. He couldn't, he wouldn't take, you know, he took offense if you said something derogatory or whatever. Remember, I preached several weeks back now, the end of January, we looked at David in his whole attitude as he was being, uh, the, the, what was the guy's name? Shishak. Shimiak. So, yeah. So, <laughs> he was completely disrespectful to the king. And David said, okay. That's, the, that's what he's talking about here. The, these unkindnesses, do they hurt? Even if they do. Just, just take it. They don't like you because, for his sake, for the sake of your Father in heaven. It's a, this is a whole new mentality. It is not the mentality of the ancient world. It's not the mentality of the modern day world. We're supposed to love all with a pure heart. That our purpose is the well-being of the other person. Not because we expect to get anything out of it. You give somebody money, don't expect it back. Now, does that mean banks are wrong? No. We're talking about benevolence. There are people that need help. Don't, if you're, if, you know, you give it to them, make them, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's, I, we don't do it today because we have commercial credit. I, I think it's something that we've lost. Commercial credit is different than going to a buddy and saying, hey, you, you remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Wimpy, if you buy me a burger today, I'll pay you back for two tomorrow. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. In the ancient world, there were money lenders, and you only went there as a last resort, just like commercial banks. They're money lenders. That's what they are. That's what they do for a living. But you were short on your taxes. Well, the first place you would go to is family. Hey, I, I need a couple denarii. I need, you know, can you help me out? And the idea is, is that you give them the money because you can, not, because, not so that you go broke, but because they're in need and you're keeping them from having to go see the leeches. And so you, you help them out with no expectation of them paying back. Usually they'll be like, I'll, I'll, I'm, as soon as the, my crop comes in, you, you help them out with a couple bucks. And you would go and you, and you would do this. And if it wasn't family, maybe friends, a business partner, 
and all that. So she wouldn't have to go to the money lender. And he's saying you don't charge them interest because you're helping them out. They're in a jam. We're not talking about the guy who is the um, waster, the sluggard. We're not talking about people who you're enabling to continue in a lifestyle that's destructive. We're not talking about that. That person you need to help too, but they need a different kind of help. Um, but you're, you're not looking to make a buck. I'm going to get rich off of this guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. Here's an IOU. I want 30%. Yeah, that, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's a whole different thing. We're supposed to act at a level that's above the world's level. What's the world's level? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? That's all the world cares about. What do I get out of it? Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. This explains the world to a T. I mean, the sixth chapter of Genesis, we're not very long into the, after the creation here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. That is the world's mantra. The entirety of being self-centered, unconcerned not only with God, but we're not even concerned with each other. We are not interested in our neighbor unless he's got something to offer, something to trade, something to make me better off. Again, it's not about others. Yes, that guy that's borrowing money for the third time is taking advantage of you. Is that okay? It's not okay on his part. But God says, do it anyway. Why? Because it's not about them. He will judge them. He will vindicate you. The guy is starving. The guy is hungry. Yeah, he blew the rent money again on some horse. But when do you stop? When do you stop? That's a good question. And I don't know that there is an answer. You got to know the person. I don't think, because we're told, I mean, Peter asked that very question. And Jesus told him, how often do you forgive? How often do you forgive that loan he owes you? How often do you forgive him for wronging you? Well, what's a wrong? Not paying back a loan? I mean, there's no quantification. He says 70 times 7. But I think you reach a point where you realize you're enabling them to continue to be. That's what we don't want to do. And you also realize there's a point where you have to walk away because they're never going to stop hurting you. So you need to just walk away. And that's based on every person. See, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's about you. It's not about them. They start abusing you in a manner that you can't deal with. Then it's time for you to walk away. And that'll be different for every person. Some people can, can walk that path with them. We're going to see that there's other places where he talks about if somebody makes you go a mile, go two. Uh, you're, you're walking the path of life, and people get on and off with you. But I think God gives us the servant to see when somebody really needs to be helped. And it may be that you need to do something different with them yeah. and, and stuff. One of the things we do here dealing with benevolence is we don't give people money. Uh, actually, I had a lady call the other day. She 
the most bizarre set of circumstances, and we, we figured out that, yeah, th this is really going on. She was staying in a hotel with two grandchildren and a nephew because she had cancer and had had treatment, and so she was immunocompromised, and her daughter was living with her and came down with COVID, and so she couldn't go to the house because she's immunocompromised. The, ki the kids didn't have it. There were two kids in the house and her boyfriend, they all had it. She was staying in a dumpy hotel and she needed money for two nights before she got her paycheck. Okay. Most bizarre set of circumstances. I mean, wow. Okay. <laughs> so we, we called around. We made inquiries and, and all that. We decided that we would help. And we didn't give them money because we know what happens. I mean, people dream stuff up like this. I mean, I've heard some really crazy stories, and Chris has got even crazier stories. Um, so what do we do? We pay for the hotel room. I call the, the hotel, and I give it to them. We don't give them money. We, do, we, we give it to them. We, grocery cards. I love the grocery card thing. Okay, you need food. Here's a gift card to Giant, 50 bucks. Uh, do that often. There are other ways around that to, to help them. Sometimes you just can't help people. You've just got to be the constant in their life. Checking on them. Hey, did you get help this week? Did you go to a meeting? No, no, no. I didn't have time. I didn't, you know, they, they haven't. And you just got to keep, keep at them. Sometimes you just offer them 50 bucks. You go to a meeting, I'll give you 50 bucks. 20 bucks. It becomes that sort of thing where you're helping them by helping them. Um, it's, every situation is so different. There is no pat answer. But it's not about them. It's about us. The point is, is that we are supposed to care about those kinds of people. It's easy to ignore them because they're down on their luck. Things aren't going well. They're, they've got issues, and they end up being pushed away. I mean, I'm thinking of the 1920s, the, the close of the stock markets, the bankers and stuff walking in New York, ignoring the people on the streets living there because they've, they've been forced out of their homes. There's no work. There's no food. They ignore the bread lines. They just There was just this whole apathy towards those people. Oh, it's so sad, but they didn't care. Did they do anything to help? Most of them didn't. Most of them, um, Spurgeon in England preached and railed against it. The whole point of um, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, was because of the apathy uh, towards those that couldn't find work. It wasn't their own fault. I mean, if you've ever watched the movie or read the book, I mean, Charles Dickens makes it clear there was a responsibility Scrooge had to it. Did he have to give away all his money? No, but should he have, but his attitude, he didn't care. That's what we're talking about. It's about us. It's not about them and their problem. It's how do we view their problem? Are we looking for a way to help their issue? Do we care enough that we even pray about it? It's about our heart because the heart of God is for people. If he was like us, he would have wrote us off back in Genesis chapter six. 
I mean, it, it grieved him to his heart. He was grieved. We don't like to be grieved, do we? It's not a comfortable feeling when we get that mm, that just grips us. And yet, from chapter 6 in Genesis to right now, mankind is grieving God's heart. And he did something about it. He cared enough. He gave us his son. See, there's, that's, that's the heart he wants. He wants us to care enough about those kinds of people. Don't ignore them. Don't push them away. Don't pretend they don't exist. If it's in your power to do something about it, do something about it. Help. Whatever it may be. Maybe a couple minutes. The whole big brother, big sister programs. Those are great helps. Kids that have no family. Requires a commitment and all that. How many people could do that? I mean, there's always stuff going on. There are people that agree. I, we just had a, a, a good friend of ours from Korea. They, they had come home just before we did. And um, they, uh, he just died of COVID. He was, Tony was younger than me. Yeah. He's only been married. They got married. He was in Korea, came home, get, met a gal, got married, came back, and was there for a number of years with his wife. And then they came back, and uh, they've only been married, I guess, what, 10, 15 years? Oh, eight years. It's not even that long. I thought it was longer than that. Yeah, he's my age. He's a couple years younger, maybe 48. Just died yesterday, or no, I guess it was Friday. I mean, that's just terrible. Uh, we don't know how long we've got. We don't know where or what is transpiring, but do we care, and do we do something about it? Comment, question. Go ahead. I see this um, in today's world with the drug problem, like in Kensington. Like, is it, should we have a drug house? You know, how are we dealing with this problem? And I know, like, it, it hurts me. I see it different, like an able young body that you should be able to work, but they're so addicted to drugs, they can't. And they're, you know, like in Philly, I see them, you know, yeah. wanting money just so they can buy the drugs. Um, but it's kind of like, where is the line for humanity? Like you said, that the safe houses where people don't want that in their neighborhoods that you can come and get your drugs there. At least it's clean and it's safe. But yet you're still enabling them. Yeah, there's. I, I don't know that every idea out there is a great idea. Um, I don't know what a good idea is though. I mean, I don't. Like I said, that's. It's. We're. We've all got different parts to play in all these things. Uh, I, there are different reasons why people are addicted to, to whatever stuff. I mean, there's so many different... you got people that are addicted to gambling. We've got how many casinos that have just cropped up. They just build a new one down... The, yeah, well, yeah, online, I just... Yeah, I just heard that the, one of the casinos, online casinos, beat their projected income for fourth quarter by, like, 30%. I mean, that's just crazy. You know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction... The, the question is, is why are these people, why are they there? Sometimes it's genetic. We know that there's a genetic component, but that's even overcomable. But what is it that they need in their lives? Well, the obvious answer is Jesus. And, and I, I think we give that as a church, we give that as a pat answer to this, if they would just get involved in all that. Well, how are they going to get involved if there aren't people living 
like this to take an interest in care and concern. We can go down there and stand, and I, I, I've done it. You go in and you preach to these people and expect them to get saved. Well, no, you're going to have to get dirty. You're going to have to get in there and muck about in their lives and maybe go pick them up at 2 o'clock in the morning in a drunk stupor from a bar and, and help them. It may be that you need to... And I, I'll tell you what, family, everybody says, well, if they just had family, well... Sometimes it's, I, I don't think family is always the answer. That you need somebody that isn't family because they're too close to the situation. There are too many hurts. There are too many wounds that have gone on maybe for years. Uh, that's why we, we require the whole body to do it. We've all got parts and pieces to play in this. And there are people that do. I mean, there are people that this is what they do and they love doing it. They love helping and working with those kind of people. But you know what? They've got needs, too. They've got issues at home. You know, maybe they've got little kids. Maybe they've got something that somebody needs to babysit for. I mean, there are so many. The whole body has to function in together that, okay, maybe you're not going to go sit on a bar stool with the guy and talk him off taking that drink. But maybe you can do something, you know, for the guy who does that. Or there's some other thing. See, we, we, there's... That's the heart that we're looking for, is we're concerned enough that we're willing to do something about it. We're willing to put ourselves in. And I'm not talking about just throwing money. Money's easy. I mean, that's how we ended up with a government that we do, where it's just socialized. The government will take care of it. It's not my problem. I mean, that's what Scrooge said, right? I pay for those institutions. Isn't that enough? That's, that is the exact place we're in right now in 20th century America, 21st century. <laughs> We look to the government to solve the problem. The problem is, is those problems don't need paid people there because they're just punching the clock. I mean, let's face it. We all know how the foster care system works. We've all know the stories. The public school system, how many of the teachers, they're there for their 20. That's all they're interested in. They're punching that clock till they can retire. Do they really love and have concern and care for the kids? The same is true for every government institution that works with, these kind of, with those kinds of people. We want people that care, that have this mentality that Jesus is describing here with it. All right, let's move on because we're going to run out of time. All right, Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, if there's a verse, a set of verses that gets used incorrectly, it's got to be these. Um... Again, we've got to stick with the context here. What he's talking about. The whole point of this sermon is us, the individual, and how we are doing. We are supposed to love everyone with a pure heart and with mercy. That's what he's trying to teach, is that we have care and concern for our fellow man. Not judging is not accepting evil. The world is screaming this right now, especially in the LGBTQ community. Can't you just be like Jesus and love? Yeah. yeah. 
They want us to love, and by their, their determination, love means accepting them the way they are and what they do. That is not, and they're pointing to this and they're going, judge and you will not be judged. That's not what Jesus is saying. Evil is supposed to be judged. We're commanded to judge evil. Judging here is the individual and how he treats other people. This is the kind of judging that looks at somebody and says, well, you're a poor person. God is not helping you because you've got sin in your life. So, you know, I'm going to... The Pharisees would not eat with tax collectors. We've talked about this before in here. They would not break bread. They would not sit at the table with tax collectors because that was, oh, I'm, I'm socially accepting them. And they're, they're sinners. Their sin will rub off on me. That's the kind of judging Jesus is saying. Don't judge these people. We're not talking about saying that sin is okay. He's not saying just let it go. Paul is going to spend whole chapters in numerous books condemning sin in church. Well, Jesus says right here, judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. What they were doing was they were looking at people's circumstances and determining whether or not God is happy with them and whether or not they can be associated with them because if God's not happy with them, then I don't want... Any parts of that. And God is saying, no, no, no. The whole story of Job. Job was in total disaster. His friends show up and what do they say? You got, you got sin in your life. Yeah, you've done something wrong. God's judging you. Was he? This is why God is saying, you don't get to make the judgment call. You don't get to determine that. Your job is to love them. My job is to judge. But we're not saying that, you know, well, this is a convicted murderer, but I can't judge you on that because I, I'm, I'm supposed to not judge. That's not what he's saying. In our world is interpreting it that way. We do not accept evil. We condemn it. We just don't judge the individual of why maybe they did what they did. I don't understand their life. That doesn't mean I'm accepting of what you've done and it, it requires punishment. We're going to mete it out. The context, treating people the way the world does is wrong. The world looks at people and goes, what can I get out of that guy? P.T. Barnum, there's a sucker born every minute. Isn't that, isn't that the way the world looks at everybody? How can I get a dollar out of you? Yeah, all the commercials now are saying, get what you're entitled to. Yeah. Like that's that's the context Jesus is preaching this to, though. He's preaching to people who believed that whatever was happening, it was fate. No, there's no fate. I reject that idea that there's any sort of fate. God has a plan. He is sovereign. He is working it. And he's included every single one of us in it. And our job, and he's told us what our job is, and it's to love one another. We're supposed to show them mercy. We're supposed to show them love and kindness, even when they don't deserve it. And we're not supposed to make, you know, judging, judging a book by its cover. We're not supposed to do that. Get to know the person. Figure it out. Don't decide that, well, he's dressed in shabby clothes. 
um, and, and pass them off. That's what we're talking about. Love everyone. Love, it, love them with a pure heart. And show them mercy. That was a radical idea in Jesus' day. You know what? It's a radical idea today. I mean, I look at the right, the conservative right, and we're, we're calling for all sorts of nonsense to happen. And we're supposed to do this and that to get even with the Democrats. They, they cheated us. They robbed us. All, the, all, the, all this stuff. Stop. We're supposed to, look, they're in, they're in control. This isn't our world. This isn't my world. I'm not living here. I'm passing through. We're, we're, we're supposed to have a different mentality. Are you praying for President Biden? I don't care if you like him or don't like him. Are you praying for him? Are you praying for his goodwill? For his health? That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't judge him. Don't, the, the, look, yeah, he's not doing things that we like. There are a lot of people that do things that I don't like. But that doesn't mean that I don't pray for them. That I don't, you know, if he, if he needs to cross the street, grab his arm, look both ways for him and help him across. Can you do that? If you can't do that, then this sermon that Jesus preaches on the plane is for you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, no, I'd let him push him out in the traffic. <laughs> Believe me, I'm there. I have to check myself. The derogatory comments online that you make with your friends and you're all cheering each other on. Yeah, yeah, you come up with a better meme. Really? How's that being kind? Yes, we have the right as Americans of freedom of speech and we can make fun of our president, but they say, right. Is it, do I dare say it, godly? Oh, that one burns the right, the conservative right right now, doesn't it? Are we being godly? He tells us definitively to pray for our leaders, to wish them well, to pay our taxes. I don't want to give that guy my money. I don't trust him to do something useful with it. But I'm supposed to. See, that's what we're talking It's about us and our attitudes. That's what this sermon is about. It's not about that other guy. You love him because God loves him. You show him the mercy that God is showing you. Show him the kindness that God is showing you. Oh, I don't want to see that because I know how kind God has been to me. <laughs> Sometimes it's as simple as not making that post or that response. And keeping or reposting, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. It is hard, especially when they're the other side and you don't like them and, and they're just so easy to poke fun at. But that's the sort of thing we're talking about. And it, I mean, just making fun of the president. I mean, what about the liberal lefties that you have at work and you're together with all your buds and you're all sitting around and yeah, you're poking fun at them. Ah, did you see that? This, that, and Oh, man, that takes all the fun out of, uh, uh, right? But is it right? Is it godly? Is it Christ-like? No, it's not. Oh, treating people the way the world does, that's easy. We come by that naturally and we do it. It's our default setting. Evil all the time. God hates it. 
He told us in Genesis chapter 6, he hated it. And then he sent Jesus to tell us there's a kingdom coming in which that very ideas are not acceptable. They are incompatible with the coming kingdom of God and we need to change. Why hasn't the kingdom come yet? We all keep asking that. Why, why, why doesn't it just come? Because the, the king, we're not ready for the kingdom. It's not that we're, the kingdom's not ready for us. But we can't get into the kingdom with the mentality we're currently having. We have got to get past this pettiness. We've got to get past treating people the way the world treats them and treat them the way God treats them. He's the one that's been wronged in all this. And he's still loving us. We get wronged and we, we get a lawyer. Imagine if God did that. Oh, wait, we can. It's called hell. All right, a couple takeaways. First of all, believers are to treat all people with dignity and respect. That was certainly not the case in the ancient world. It's certainly not the case in today's world. It hasn't changed. <laughs> and that has got to be one of the hardest things. Believers are to love all people with pure intentions. That's what it's about, our intentions. Are we out to make a buck off of them? Are we using them? Back in the, I guess it was the late 80s, Amway swept through the church as the Christian way of doing business, and a lot of wolves came into the churches back in the 80s selling products. Amway was just the, it's just the only one I'm, I'm familiar with. I know there are a lot of other ones. There's all sorts of vitamin supplements and other products out there that become the Christian thing. And you end up with people in churches and that really the only reason they're there is to make a buck. And it usually takes a few years and you quickly realize that they're not really Christians. Usually the first time something weird happens in church and yeah. No, we're to love people with pure intentions. We love them because God loves us. That's it. If that's not our motivation, then we need to check it. And lastly, believers are to exhibit God's character in this world. That is the hardest thing. Because God's character is to forgive sinners, people who have wronged him, people who have crucified him. He still loves them. He still is concerned for them. The guy coming to arrest him got his ear cut off and Jesus replaced the ear and then went quietly with him. Can you imagine that attitude if everybody had that in the world, what this world would be like? Let's pray. Father, it's a hard lesson. You demonstrated daily to us and Lord, we're, we fail daily trying to learn it. But Lord, help us. Help us to live the way you want us to live. Help us to treat people the way you want us to treat them. Give us the strength and the character to live the way you wanted us to live. In your name we pray. Amen.